If you want to keep your Bible open, that was a lengthy passage, right? Thank you, Brad. I, I, I didn't mean to do them dirty in terms of having them read all those Old Testament names and um, what a lengthy passage it was. Thank you for reading it for us and reading it well. I invite you to keep that passage of the Bible open. I think it's uh, 402 in your, in your uh, Pew Bible. I'll be using the ESV if you have one. If, if you want to use the same translation as me, Pew Bible, is it? If you have your own, that's fine too. I welcome you to open your Bible to Nehemiah, begin in the end of chapter 7. So it's a few books before the middle of your Bible. So the middle of your Bible is Psalms, and it's a few books uh, previous to that. You can find Nehemiah. We'll be in the end of seven and all of eight, a few verses at the beginning of nine. I, ha- I have this handy uh, outline for you in your, in your bulletin, too. A few fill-in-the-blanks. That's always fun, right? So you can follow along via outline if you'd like. And I invite you to have your Bible open, because I'll be referring to just verses and phrases in the text often. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a great listener, uh, in recent years, I've even just been challenged as, as I kind of reflect on my life or just interactions and, and ministry. I need to improve in the area of listening. Uh, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you feel the same. Listening is hard, right? There's, there's various kinds of listening. There's lots of listening we do in a day. I'm regularly in my home, listening to what our kids are doing and saying and crying, and, and, and right there's, there's lots of listening that needs to be done. Uh, on campus with students, I often see students walking around. They got the earbuds in, right? And it's like, almost like they're constantly listening to something. Who knows what it is? How many of you have podcasts you listen to in the car, right? Think about all the listening you do. Uh, what I want to uh, bring to you uh, from the word this morning is a unique kind of listening. Uh, and it's, it's corporate listening. It's, it's what we're actually doing now. Where we're corp- in a corporate public assembled way, there is a listening right now that we're all sharing. Maybe you, some, some of you have your earbuds in listening to something else. That's fine, right? But and, uh, we're, we're doing a, a version of listening right now that's unique. Uh, if you were to listen to this sermon tomorrow in your car by yourself, that's different than what's happening right now. Right now, there's a shared experience of corporate listening. Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to linger on today, this idea of Corporate listening to God's word, and uniquely for the purpose of our joy, for the purpose of our joy. And so we'll look at it in three ways, uh, and all from Nehemiah here. You might be asking, okay, we're in Nehemiah chapter 7. Where are we in our Bible? Uh, This is after, uh, in the Old Testament, after the Babylonian exile. So this is near the end of, of Old Testament history. Uh, if, you, if you think about King David, way past him, way past all the successive kings in Israel and Judah, uh, Babylon has come in, and they've uh, conquered the city of Jerusalem, taken captives with them. We're actually fast-forwarding through that now. The empire in charge is the Persian Empire. And Nehemiah has come back to Jerusalem, and he's been leading the effort to rebuild the wall around the city. And at this point in the book of Nehemiah, that rebuilding of the wall has been completed. And the people now gather. Uh, a contemporary to this man, Nehemiah, who's overseen the, the building of the wall again, a contemporary of, uh, of Nehemiah is this priest, Ezra. And he plays a prominent role in the passage this morning. If I can have your eyes just on 
the first 10 verses of our text, which are chapter 7, verse 66, just to verse 2 of chapter 8. There's just 10 verses there. If I can get your eyes to zero in there. Do you notice the individuality that the author emphasizes in this passage? Here's what I mean. I think think individuality is displayed for us um, in mentioning the diversity of people. Do you see it? Notice verse uh, 67. Let me point these out to you. Uh, There were uh, male and female servants in in verse 67. There are singers, right, in verse 68. Apparently they had a praise team, right, Like like we saw this morning. There were heads of houses mentioned, and even a governor in verse 70. Do you see that? The individuality of different roles uh, of of people, and even the number of them, right? Uh, Priests and Levites are mentioned in verse 73. Also notice in 73, a gatekeeper is mentioned. Apparently, they had their own version of Tim Mills. (laughs) Outside the door, I'm sure uh, even the gatekeeper back then, Hebrew Tim Mills, was playing his Bluetooth of the Psalms of Ascent as people walked in. I don't know. But you see, you think of the individuality represented in our own body. The different, there's a praise team, there's uh, a pastoral staff, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of people behind the scenes pulling off different responsibilities. We even have our own gatekeeper, right? This is the individuality mentioned here. Notice in verse 73 too, there, there mentions they're all these individuals, uh, they're from many different towns. And same here, we have people traveling here from Oldie. Fleetwood, Muhlenberg, uh, all around Berks County. There's individuality to where we're from, just like is mentioned here. Individuality, if you'll also notice it in these first 10 verses, is also displayed in the listing of different numbers. Do you see it here? The crowd. Do you see what the crowd numbers in the first verse there? 42,360 people attended the worship service this morning. They didn't have to contemplate going to two services or not because they met outside, right? So the place could fit them when 42,000 people come and they collect from different towns. They're of a diverse amount of kinds of people, roles that they play. But on top of that are another, do you see it? 7,337 servants even added to that number. So we're talking, you add it up, it's close to 50,000 people have collected and gathered. There's also numbers given of singers and livestock and even uh, calculations of the money given towards the work and towards the treasury. This all represents, it displays for us an individuality in this group. Yet there's another number that emphasizes something else entirely. And I want to point this out to you. Chapter 8. Verse 1, especially if you're reading in the ESV. Let me read it for you. Do you notice the number? And all the people gathered as, do you see it? As one man. Notice that the listening here, although there's individuals, the listening is uniquely corporate. These individuals, the roles they play, the places they're from, they're collecting as one unit, one man, one group, Notice the repetition of this one collection of people. Uh, Twice in verses, uh, sorry, the word assembly shows up twice. In verse 66, the the assembly, right? Together was 42,000. Again in 
8, verse 2. So Ezra brought the book of the law before the assembly, and even in 8, verse 1, the word uh, a people gathered there. Uh, we have many towns, we have many individuals, 50,000 people. What have they come to do? Why are they collecting as one corporate unit? Chapter 8, verse 1, do you see it? This is what one group of 50,000, the request they make. It's singular, do you see it? They told Ezra, bring the book of the law of Moses, a.k.a. Ezra, would you read to us the Bible? Uh, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, if you'll see there, starts with the word so. Right? The result of this request is here. Chapter 8, verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, men, women, and all who could understand what they heard. And here's why. 50,000 people do not, none of them have their own copy of the scriptures. None of them. To hear it, to hear the Bible, to, to hear it read, it, ha it has to be heard by someone else reading it to the 50,000. 50,000 people, in order for them to read their Bible, they had to collect and hear it read to them. Listening to God's word, see, it had to be corporate because it couldn't be individual. Individuals didn't have their own scriptures. Many were even illiterate anyway. And friends, this has been the design and function for God's people for most of world history. I'm going to say something provocative. I want you to follow with me. Um, I don't know, obviously, how many people right now populate heaven. I don't know the number, right? Uh, but here's the reality. Most of them never read their Bible. Yet, they were people deeply shaped by God's word. Because people have been passing on into the afterlife uh, for the last 6,000 years now, since the days of Genesis, by God's grace through faith in God. That's been how people have been invited into the presence of God, by grace through faith. And out of those, the 6,000 years now, people entering eternity into heaven, most of them never had their own Bible to read. But all of them, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. All of them came to faith through hearing God's word, not reading it individually. Does that make sense? What I'm, I'm not at all downplaying having your own Bible. Friends, if you don't have your own Bible, I don't know, take the one in the pew home with you. <laughs> have a Bible. I'm not at all downplaying reading your own Bible. Please, if you have the Bible, read it often, daily, memorize it. It is a treasure to have your own Bible. I do not mean to minimize that at all. What I'm doing is trying to maximize the regular, ordinary means throughout world history and the, the pattern of God's people is not primarily individually listening to God's word, but corporately listening to God's word. I think there's a sense in which there's maybe been a shift where now that we do have the treasure of you having your own Bible, the, a slight danger could be thinking that the main way you could ingest God's word and hear God's word maybe is individual reading that could even replace the need you feel 
for corporate listening. And it's a danger. I think because we have our own Bible, we literally can scroll on our phone or have in our pocket. There's maybe been a pattern in society, even in Christendom, where I'll do church myself on a Sunday morning at home. I have my own Bible, right? Or uh, I'll just listen to that sermon in my car Monday morning if I happen to miss it. It's not there Sunday morning. Friend, just because you have your individual listening to God's word, which should be in your life, it never can be a replacement for the primary means of a corporate listening to God's word. Think of the benefits of corporate listening that don't come through individual listening. In in corporate listening right now, we are having a shared, simultaneous experience of reading and hearing God's word. That can't be replicated on your own. We have a way in which God is doing a spiritual work in our hearts simultaneously that can't come through individual ingesting of God's word. We have a unity in how we can grow and learn and repent and be in awe of God together simultaneously in a shared experience. And this cannot be replicated if we only do individual listening. And so the first thing we see in this chapter is that listening is corporate, not just individual. If you want to fill in the blank on your outline, you can. But listening is, is done corporately, not just individually. I don't want you to misread me and think that I'm downplaying individual reading of God's word. What I want is I don't want us to, in our culture, in Christendom too, and, and we're all part of that, too, to neglect the primary importance of hearing God's word as a group. They could give, they could serve, they could sing, they could fulfill their role in ministry as individuals. But in order to hear God's word, it had to be done corporately. Uh, secondly, this morning, I think we, uh, we see listening corporately, is, is, we listen corporately to God's word preached, not just read aloud. I, wa- I want to show you this in the text. This is a, a fascinating text for the relationship that preaching and scripture have together. Uh, I'm going to read again uh, uh, in chapter 8, just, just a few verses, uh, the verses 3 to 8. Uh, th- these are the tough ones with the names, so ready to do it again. Here we go. Um, but if you'll read along with me uh, in chapter 8, verses 3 to 8, again, this is listening corporately to God's word preached, not just read aloud, our, our, our second point this morning. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women, and those who could understand. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, and Shema, and Aniah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Masiah on his right hand. And Padiah and Mishael and Melchijah and, and, and Hashem and Hashpadiah and Zechariah and Meshelam on his left hand. And Israel, sorry, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people as he opened it. The people all stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, uh, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, 
Hodiah, Masai, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Uh, part of why I thought about uh, not shortening our passage to read, uh, whoever was doing the scripture reading this morning, um, and let the lengthiness of the passage, you kind of feel it, is do, do you see what happens here in this text? He, in the early morning, he stood before 50,000 people and opened the scroll, and the people stood, and he kept reading until midday. <laughs> I, think we, I think we might have been standing for like six minutes, maybe seven minutes, right? Imagine six or seven hours of hearing God's word. I'm guessing they stood for much of it. I don't write. Sure, people took a break, uh, right? But still, the point is, the people stood and they heard God's word for hours. Notice what the characters are doing in this section we just read. I want to point this out. You notice what the characters are doing in this section. Notice what the people are doing. In verse 3, do you see it? Early morning to midday, notice what it says in verse 3. The ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Again in verse 5, this is, this is what's described for us about the people. They stood, and as he blessed the Lord, their voices uh, responded back to him. Amen and amen. Notice what they're doing with their bodies. Their hands are lifted in a sense of satisfaction and awe and worship of God, and even their heads are bowed in a sense of humility, and they're undone by hearing about who God is through his law. Notice what the character Ezra is doing in this section. Notice in verse 3, he read it. Now, when we say it, what is it? What did he read? He read the book of the law of Moses. What's that? You might say, oh, what comes to mind first might be the book of Leviticus, right? Yes, included, but that word law is the word Torah or Torah. And the Torah of Moses are the first five books of the Bible, so as he began in, in early morning and read until midday, it's because he's reading all of Genesis, all of Exodus, all of Leviticus, all of Numbers, and all of, De he, all of Deuteronomy. He read the whole Torah, the whole first five books of the Bible for the people in succession, in a row, right? Notice what else uh, uh, Ezra is doing uh, in verse 4 and 5. Do you see this? He's standing above the people, and the reason it seems to be is so that everyone could see him, right? If you stand up high, even the people in the back of the crowd of 50,000 can still maybe see Ezra and, and better hear him. So he's standing on a platform above the people, and he's opening the book, it says, for them all to see. There, there, there's something about this display of the people, again, gathered corporately from 50,000 vantage points, and there's one focal point. This man, Ezra, who's opening the word of God for us to hear. It also says what Ezra is doing in verse 6. You notice it here. He blessed the Lord, the great God. He made this reading of God's word corporately. He made it all about the majesty of God. All these names that are read, right? Ezra is easy to say. The rest of them are more difficult, right? All, these are Levites standing to the right and to the left of Ezra. And you see what they do in verse 7? Here's what I want you to see. The end of verse 7. 
Do you notice it? Helped the people understand the law. The reading is given for the people, and then something further is done, helping the people understand the scripture they just heard. Does that make sense? This is what the Levites are now doing as Ezra Le- reads the law. Maybe there's pauses, maybe there's breaks, but they're, they're, they're now additionally adding their voice in a way that whatever is going to help the people understand the Bible they just heard. That's what's happening. Verse 8, it says it again in a different way. They read the book of the law, oh, sorry, they read from the book, from the law of God, here it is, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Friend, this is what preaching is. It is helping people understand by giving them a sense for the purpose of understanding the Bible they just heard. Does that make sense? This is the role of preaching. The passage so clearly gives us the role of the Bible and the role of preaching and the relationship between the two. The role of preaching is to help the listener understand God's word. As Ezra read from the Bible, people needed a a further help and a further sense so they could not just hear the Bible, but, but understand it. Reading alone didn't do this, but preaching did. Now, I want to imagine one without the other, right? Imagine a sermon with no Bible. It's not even preaching from a passage of the Bible. It's not even mentioning Bible. It's just a sermon. It's not a sermon. It's just a speech. It's just a lecture, right? It's empty. It's void. It might be great to use uh, in the workplace to give a presentation to your superior. Right? There's, there's need for giving up public, public speaking, right? But don't call it a sermon, if it's not explaining the Bible. Does that make sense? Sometimes I'll, I'll get done uh, preaching or, or even just teaching with students on campus, and a couple times, it's only happened recently, but a student has come up and said, uh, great speech today. I'm always, I'm always thrown off to, to hear it as a speech. I don't know, maybe, maybe you said that to somebody. Um, and that's fine, I, I take the compliment, great. But, but, but what preaching is, is different than a speech or a lecture. What it is, is, get, is helping people understand the Bible. Imagine one without the other in terms of only Bible reading, and that's it. That's, that's great, right? We actually need to hear the scriptures. But the, the downside to not giving any further comment might be a lack of understanding the precious scripture we just heard. And so that's why God's people are commanded to hear preaching, and God's leaders are, are commanded to preach the word read it, and then help people understand it, a.k.a. a sermon. This is the relationship between the two. Uh, something, I don't know, something meta is happening right now. Okay, so uh, we read a Bible passage about someone reading a Bible passage, and then someone preached a Bible passage about that, and now I'm preaching about someone preaching a Bible passage. I realize that's a lot of layers of this happening all at once. Um, so, so the Levites were giving an expositional sermon on Genesis through Deuteronomy, and now I'm trying to give you an expositional sermon on Nehemiah about them giving their expositional sermon. There's a lot going on, all right? But it's, it's redundant for the reason that I want to give you from the Bible uh, the role of preaching. We didn't just make it up over time, right? The Bible's actually giving us uh, 
the, the command. It's giving us the encouragement. It's giving us the, the explanation. It's giving us the pattern for preaching. God's people uh, never need less than hearing God's word read aloud. Never less. But they always need more to be helped by a preacher so they can better understand. Notice the posture, if you would, of, of the people towards God's word. I want you to see this with your eyes. If you would look at verse 4, chapter 8, verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a platform that they had made for the purpose, right? And there's the names of the people beside him. Um, sorry, I think, I think it's actually verse 3. Sorry, end of verse 3. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Notice the attentiveness they have to God's word. I think it's added to the idea that this is all they got. They can't go home and reread it. If they're going to hear the Bible, they have to be attentive. This is God's word and they have to hear it, right? Notice in verse 6 what their posture is. So attentiveness is their posture in verse 4. Notice what their posture is in verse 6. All the people answered, amen and amen, lifting their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord. Friends, before the Bible was read, their ears were attentive to it. And after it was finished being read, they were worshipful from it. Our posture towards the Bible should be that of we are attentive for it, and we are worshipful from it. I am so thankful at our church, we, uh, after the Bible is read and preached, what we conclude every service with is worship again because it is a response from our hearts to the word we just heard. We are worshipful from the word we've heard. But remember, a worshipful heart starts with attentive ears. If you want to increase and maximize your heart's overjoyed posture of worship at the end of the service, if you want to maximize that, have your ears be attentive to God's word. There's a relationship there. The more attentive your ears are, the more worshipful your heart will be. A worshipful heart starts with attentive ears. And so we listen corporately to God's word preached after it's been read aloud. I I hope you understand the pattern and the culture here at Trinity of this happening every week. We do a scripture reading And then you hear a sermon. It's not just tradition. It's not just what we do. It's not just a rhythm. It's not just a liturgy. This is our our conviction from the Bible. This is what typifies God's people. We have attentive ears to his word. And then a faithful preacher. Friends, you have a treasure. You hear a preacher every Sunday. Brad, Pastor Jerry, and primarily Pastor Dan. This happens for you. What we're reading about Nehemiah, it's happening for you every Sunday. Bibles are open, ears are attentive, and then he helps us, the preacher helps us understand the Bible we just heard. And lastly, this morning, listening corporately to God's word preached is for our joy, not just our conviction. Don't mishear me. It is for our conviction, but there's something additional as well. It's also for our joy. Um, I'm going to read for you the the remainder of it. Chapter 8, starting in verse 9 through chapter 9, verse 3. It won't take me six or seven hours. You don't have to stand all day. Uh, I won't make you stand at all. But if if you would hear just the remainder of this. 
and I want to point something out for you for your, for your joy. Uh, chapter 8, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, uh, taught the people and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord our God, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses and all the people and the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it is written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should, they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns in all Jerusalem. Uh, go out to the hills, bring branches and olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths. As it is written, so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof and in the courts and the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and the square of the gate of, of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God and kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law and the Lord their God, a quarter of the day, and another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. Uh, notice in verse uh, 9, uh, how Ezra makes a transition. Do you see it? He says to them in verse 9, This day is holy to the Lord your God. And notice what he says next. Do not mourn or weep. Why is he saying that? Why did he just say, did he transition from Bible reading to today is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. The text tells us why he said that. Do you see it in verse 10? Because this crowd of 50,000 people were weeping. Imagine, if you can, a, a crowd of 50,000 people holding on to one another, weeping sobbing, they're broken, they're crying out, they're mourning with grief, this crowd of 50,000. They're undone by the word. Why? Why are they this broken? Why are they this grieved? Friends, they heard it for the first time. They had been in captivity. They had been a remnant in the land without a temple, without a priest. They had been a generation in exile, in captivity, and returned I'm sure they heard their parents and grandparents speak of the Bible, but they had not heard it. And they just heard all day five books of the Bible in a row, in a row for the first 
time. And they are not bored. They are not moving on to something else. They are, it hit them, and it hit them deep. They are broken by it. Because here's what they heard. Think about it. A generation in captivity. A generation coming out of captivity. A generation seeing the devastation and what they've survived. This is what they heard Ezra read from the Bible. They heard of a God who called Abraham out of Babylon. They heard of a God who spared Isaac's life. They heard of a God who wrestled with Jacob. They heard of a God who was with Joseph in his captivity, and God delivered him out of the pit. They heard of a God in the book of Exodus, read aloud for them for the first time, a God who heard the people's cries in bondage and in slavery in Egypt, and a God who listened to that and delivered them out of their slavery and their bondage. This people's hearing this God do this for his people for the first time. They heard of a, a God who abided with his people in the wilderness when they were tempted and tested and ungrateful and tired and thirsty and hungry, and yet God still led them through and guided them to his promised land. And then in Deuteronomy, as Ezra read it, this group of 50,000 heard what Moses said generations ago. He says, people of God, you have a choice. You can choose life or you can choose death this day. If you obey and you keep the Lord as your God, you will stay in your land and you will have abundance and you will have safety. And Moses said, but if you choose death, if you choose disobedience, if you turn to idols, if you forsake your God, an enemy will come in and take you into captivity. And they're hearing this and they're like, that's what we did. We chose death instead of life. Moses' words came true. We picked the wrong one, and they're devastated after a day of hearing the Bible read aloud for them. And they're broken, and they feel maybe hopeless. And Ezra does something I'm stunned by. He closes the book, rolls up the scroll, and his logic, I, I don't see it coming. He says, today is holy, so stop your mourning. Today's holy, so stop your grieving. I would expect him to say, yep, are you in tears? That's an appropriate response. And he doesn't. He reasons the opposite way. And it astounds me. He says, today is a holy day, so do not weep. He says, instead rejoice. Verse 10, do you see what the Levites go on to do? They continue this logic that just surprises me. It says, do not be grieved. They, they calmed the people. Do you see that in verse 11? But before that, right in verse 10, they say, don't be grieved. No, notice his explanation. Do you see how verse 10 ends? It's famous. It might be on a coffee mug in your house. It's the famous verse. So here, here's the context, right? You're broken over your sin. You're grieved at your condition before God. But he says this, the joy... The joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength, he says, people, to endure this moment will not come from thinking that God is grieved about you, God is disappointed in you, God is remorseful over the fact you're even his people. No, it's not the Lord's, the Lord's frown upon you that will strengthen you. 
It's the Lord's joy that will strengthen you. And he says, as cut to the heart and broken and remorseful as you are over your sin, that's appropriate. But that's not a place to end. That's the place to start. It's a means to a greater goal of not remaining in your remorse and your conviction and your brokenness. The gospel, the good news, moves us from that starting point to encounter the God who is thrilled to be your God. It is the smile of God upon you that Ezra's sermon wants to lead them to. Now, again, don't mishear me. I am not minimizing having a place of conviction or remorse over your sin. In fact, that's your starting place. If you're not there, start there. <laughs> but friend, do not end there. Every sermon leads us from point A, a point of conviction over our sin, to the end goal, a God who couldn't be more happy to call you his people. And a God who rejoices over you, sings over you with joy. And you know what? That strengthens our heart. You will not have the strength to go through the Christian life only crushed by your sin. But what will give you the strength to go through the Christian life is realizing I've been forgiven of my sin. I've been saved of my sin. I've been redeemed from the person that I was. And God couldn't be happier to call me his own. Something amazing happens. They, the text mentions often that they're doing this in the seventh month of the year, and you're like, why, do I, why does it tell us that this is happening all in like month number seven? Well, here's why. Because they went back to study the Bible, and in the law of Moses says on the seventh month of every year, get leafy greens and make a hut and have a kind of a corporate camping experience to remember that God brought you through the wilderness. And they realized this day that they read all this and were broken, guess what month it was? The seventh month. So he's like, we're not going to turn this into a funeral for our sin. We're going to turn this into a feast and a party for the glory of God. Because again, only conviction over your sin, that might uh, magnify the holiness of God, but what magnifies the grace of God is the rejoicing you have that you are forgiven and cleansed. And so remorse and grief and tears over sin, over your sin before God is healthy. It's a place to start, though. It's not a place to end. Friend, we listen to a sermon all the way through from conviction to knowing the happiness of God for us. This is a phenomenon that is happening here every Sunday at Trinity. And that's why I want to point it out to you. Friend, we don't just gather because you don't have your own Bible at home. You have it at home. We gather because we want to hear it together. We want to not just read the Bible for you. We can never do less than that. The Bible will be read every Sunday here. Expect it, right? Praise God. And further than that, to give a sense, to give you a sense to help you understand the Bible you read so you will hear a sermon. And the phenomenon here every Sunday is that we want conviction of our sinfulness before God, and the gospel heals the wound to give us a joy and a confidence before God. Uh, John 17, 13, just a verse I want to read in closing, is our fourth point there. Jesus is heard for our joy. Uh, John 17, 13, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. It says this, the context is Jesus, uh, the night before his crucifixion, this is it, this is last day for Jesus, and he's 
with his disciples, and he's, at, at this moment, what I'm going to read is he's praying to his father, but not silently. He's praying out loud so that his disciples can corporately hear it, right? Here's what he says. He's saying it to his father, but for his disciples hearing. He says, but now I am coming to you, meaning his father. And he says it out loud, right? He says, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's saying he's doing a, a, he's not reading God's word, right? He's not actually reading the Bible here. He, what he's saying is God's word. <laughs> God is speaking. So therefore, what his disciples are corporately listening is the word of God. And Jesus turns the, like, simultaneously, the word of God is a sermon, right? And he, he kind of says, the purpose of me speaking in the world to you, the purpose of you corporately listening to my words, God's words, do you see it? What the purpose is? That they may have Jesus' joy as your joy. Friends, the joy of the Lord Jesus is your strength. And when he says to the Father, I'm coming to you, the cross is what he means, right? He doesn't just take an Uber to heaven. He's got to get to heaven through the most significant work that's ever been done for you. The suffering, the death on the cross, his burial in the grave, triumphant resurrection, and ascension. That's what he means by the phrase, I'm coming to you. <laughs> and friends, he's speaking of his death. So you could say, you could say it this way. Friend, Jesus is dying to get your attention. He's dying to get your attention corporately on a Sunday morning. But beyond attention, do you see it? He says the purpose of him dying to get your attention is for your affection. He's dying to get your affection. He wants his radiant joy to be yours. And we get to that place after moving from conviction of our sin to the joy of the forgiveness of our sin after we hear preaching from the Bible and we do it corporately. Um, uh, I didn't know Brian was going to read this, but he read it during our time uh, from a psalm that those who look on the Lord are are radiant, and it says their face never has shame on it. But what about my shameful sin? No, when you look on the Lord who's forgiven you of it, it gives us a radiance. And so, friend, as you're convicted in a sermon on a Sunday morning, healthy place to start, absolutely. But don't have shame on your face, because God is thrilled to die for you, rise for you, and call you his own. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. God, I pray that we would have ears to hear. Our hearts would be attentive and worshipful because you have spoken to us. And God, it, it is our joy not just to be individuals who worship you, but to be a corporate gathered body, collected, unified, to simultaneously share the experience weekly of hearing your word. In your name we pray. Amen.